0: Episode 23 of The Build, the first ever episode that will feature the voice of someone not named Ian. Uh, as you can tell from the title, we're going to do the Monahan trade, we're going to talk about the end of the Carey Price era in Montreal, um, and it won't just be me. Well, the first half will. The second half, I have Habs Giffer and writer and podcaster and all-around good dude Scott Matla joining. Um, He'll talk about his retrospective on Carey Price's career and where he stacks up against some of the other legendary Canadians goaltenders. Um, It's a really good piece. I was very excited to get Scott on to talk about this, Um, so stick around for that. But first, we kind of have to talk about the piece that preceded and was then explained by the Carey Price, uh, the end of the Carey Price era, I should say, and that, of course, being uh, the Montreal Canadiens trading for Sean Monahan and a conditional 2025 first round draft pick from the Calgary Flames in exchange for future considerations, also known as nothing. Uh, when I first heard that that trade was happening, and like we, we learned about that trade happening probably like three or four hours before the Canadiens officially released it, um, I didn't believe the rumors because Montreal had no cap space. We knew this. That's why, you know, Kirby Doc and Caden Primo remain unsigned. (laughs) I, I, I. Part of me wonders if how like how much communication they are in with Kirby Doc and and Caden Primo because I, I, I have this idea that the the both of them are like you have Sean Monahan money, but you don't have Doc and Primo money. Um, that was obviously cleared up by the news we got afterwards. There was sort of two schools of thought as the trade was unfolding it was either there were additional moves to come afterwards um in the form of you know moving other salaries out um but a prevailing creeping thought throughout that entire time was maybe Carey Price is is on LTIR for the season and that's where Montreal can get that cap space um not only is Price on LTIR for the season it is unlikely that he plays again um and we can, I, I, I do kind of want to discuss how that was announced because I think it's important. Um, but first, the trade itself. It's quite a haul for Montreal turning essentially long-term injured reserve cap space into a center who we can discuss the merits of whether or not he you know, is going to rebound from the last two years of his career being pretty tough. Um, and they get a, a first-round pick. Which is very confusing, and we'll talk a little bit about the conditions. But I want to stress that it's not important that you know those conditions, so don't worry about it. Everyone's freaking out; they can't understand it. And while I do agree that it's very confusing, you have absolutely no obligation to understand why they did what, how Montreal will end up with a certain draft pick. But anyway, let's talk about Monahan. Um, as I said, the last two years for him have been. Really rough. Last season, just 23 points in 65 games. And the season before that, he had 28 in just 50. Um, he was shut down in April of last season, ahead of the playoffs for his second career hip surgery. Um, hips are sort of like, it, it's a really tough thing to bounce back from in, in hockey. Um, they kind of derailed Ryan Kessler's career. Um, I know Nicholas Backstrom just had surgery, and it's likely that he misses the entire season. If he ever comes back, there's a lot of people who had the same surgery that Backstrom did. I don't know that it's the same one that Monahan got, um, but the you know the people who got the the surgery that Backstrom did, a lot of them didn't play again, or they came back, tried it, and it didn't work. Um, so that's a legitimate concern. His health, you know, is not. He does not have a great track record with that, and it it has very clearly hindered his ability to play at a high level. Um, The good news about that is that he only has this next season left on his contract. It comes with a $6.375 million cap hit, which is a lot, but again, you're taking that $10 million off the board from Carey Price. You, you're bringing him in. You still have $4 million of LTIR to play with, essentially. Um, he comes in... I mean, that cap hit, it was it's kind of surprising. He comes in as the third highest cap hit among Habs forwards behind only Jonathan Drouin and Nick Suzuki, who's entering the first year of his eight-year extension. Um, Cat Friendly has Monahan listed on the IR right now. I think he's still rehabbing from that surgery, so that makes sense, but... Um, just, and it's just the standard IR. He's not on long-term injured reserve. Um, so I, I think I had read, I think it was Renaud Lavoie who was on top of a lot of this stuff. Um, an opening day start for him isn't all that guaranteed. I think he, um, he, I think I had read he could take up to November to be ready to play, which in reality isn't that much longer after opening day. It's about two weeks or so. So if he's not ready right away, he'll be back eventually. Um, so there's a couple of, paths forward here based on where Montreal ends up with Sean Monahan. Let's say that he comes in and plays well and, you know, Montreal doesn't want to resign him. He plays well enough to warrant some trade attention. You flip him at the deadline, get prospects picks, both, you know, current NHLers. Um, that's that's a legitimate option where if you look at it, the Canadians then will, would have taken essentially nothing and turned it into a whole bunch of futures. Um, or they could reasonably re-sign Sean Monaghan at some point this season if they really look at him and they go, you know, he's healthy, he's producing like he used to, we should sign him for our center depth. He's only 28 years old, so it's not like... You know, as long as it's not like a seven-year extension, you're probably still getting some really productive years out of him. Um, But I I do want to be aware of, you know, anything over three or four years on a contract. I I think three would actually be like the maximum I'd feel comfortable with. Um, Because, you know, like I said, let's say he really impresses this season. You only really get that that short window to decide whether or not you want to keep him um you know 4 years ago he was over a point per game he had 82 points in 78 games um you know what if he comes in he's feeling good he puts up 40 45 points 20 goals wasn't he was he was money in the bank for 20 goals a year before his injuries started to pile up so if his health was the main thing keeping him back and he did get that all sorted out with this last procedure he puts up 40 45 points you know How comfortable are you giving him a two- or three-year extension? Um, Renaud Lavois said that was a possibility, that if he can stay healthy this year, the Canadians will extend him. Um, Like I said, he hasn't had a healthy season since since the season that was cut short from the pandemic. So even the last healthy season he had, he didn't get to play in every game. Um, If he can stay healthy and play around 70 games, is that enough to convince you that his health issues are behind him? Um, again, like Montreal's trying to get out from underneath the long-term injured reserve problems that they've had. That's why they traded Shea Weber um, to give them some of that flexibility back. Although it seems kind of funny now, they co- they could have kept him, and knowing that Carey Price was also going to be there and have seventeen million dollars in 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 you know salary that they can just freely use. Um, but in either case, keeping Monahan. Or dealing him for futures at the deadline, Kent Hughes took nothing, or in reality a very negative situation with the loss of, you know, Carey Price for the remainder of his career, um, and he turned it into positive value. Um, both of them, kind of magic beans in the sense that we really don't know what Sean Monahan we're going we're going to get, um, and the first round pick which I'll get into now, um, is it could be any variety of things. It could even be more draft picks. It could be a first and some conditional third and fourths if the right um, avenues to get there present themselves. So the first round pick, it's listed as a 2025 conditional pick. The reason this likely took so long to announce after we knew the deal was happening was because the, the conditions that came with that draft pick are nuts. And that's because... Calgary and Florida have all of these deals sending their first round picks back and forth that, you know, make it very complicated for Calgary to then trade any future draft picks. Um, I, the best the best thing that I saw when that trade happened was a tweet that had, um, it was the Star Wars intro. And instead of like the opening text, it was just the conditions to that pick. It was very, that was a great day on Habs Twitter. Everybody was really, really on it. Um, so like I said, you are not paid to understand the conditions of this pick. That's another tra- uh, tweet that I saw. You couldn't pay me enough to sit down and understand every single aspect of this. You don't need to. Okay? So let's 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 get that settled now. There's no there's no reason for you to uh do, do give yourself mental anguish trying to understand whether or not the Canadians add a fourth-round pick to this. Um I'll, I'll give you some of the things that are high-level, what you can understand about this. And not to say I get to tell you that, but things that I think are important for for to at least get a bare understanding of how this pick works. If Calgary's first-round pick in 2024, so not this upcoming draft, but the one following it, is between 20 and 32nd overall, Montreal is allowed to take it. They don't have to take it, but they are allowed to. So every condition that follows that is complete word salad might not even matter if Montreal gets to the 2024 draft and they have the 20th overall pick and they say, yep, we're going to take that. Thank you. If Montreal doesn't take it, either because it doesn't fall in that range or they simply don't want it, it, it becomes... A a big mess. Like, it's just a disaster. Um, The pick could then be in 2025 or 2026. There could be additional picks added if all of those different paths work out. We are talking about... Those picks are talking about drafting players who might not even be allowed to drive right now. So, let's, let's relax. We don't need to know that. We'll figure it out. Or should I say, we won't figure it out. Kay Hughes and Jeff Gorton and their amateur scouting staff will decide what they want to do with those draft picks after the conditions display themselves for the Canadians. Again, in 2024, if that pick is 20th or 21st overall, or 32nd overall, Montreal is allowed to go, that's mine. So it might just work itself out. The one issue with this is that I don't... I'm not certain about this, but I don't think the Canadians can trade that Calgary pick until they know which one is actually theirs. Kind of like last year when the Canadians traded um, the lower of their, their first, um, their first and Carolina's first to Arizona for Christian Dvorak. um, They weren't Montreal wasn't allowed to trade either one of those picks because they didn't know which one they were giving up. So essentially they had two first round picks. They traded one of them conditionally and then they weren't allowed to then it was like they had no first round picks until the end of the season so this is sort of like a savings bond draft pick montreal's not allowed to do anything with it for at least two years and then even after that they might wait a little bit longer to see if that value is there um it could be draft capital at that point they could actually use it to draft a a living breathing hockey player um, or they could use it to, you know, acquire a player who could help them win. I don't know how far along they'll be in this rebuild in two years. Um, part of me wonders if they use it at the 20, like, let's say it's 21st overall and Montreal is drafting, I don't know, 13th, 14th. They haven't, they're, you know, they're on the way up. They're not bottoming out anymore. Maybe they can package the 21 and the 14 together to move up in the draft to get a more high impact player that's not entirely out of the question.
1: Um,
0: all I know is that, you know, Kent Hughes, like I said, took a negative value or no value in the, the, the LTIR space from Carey Price and turned it into two pieces of magic beans um, that are very, one, one is pr- present facing with the opportunity to be, you know, assisting the Canadians in the future in Sean Monahan, whether that be a contract extension or him being flipped at the deadline for more future pieces, and the other is very future-oriented with that first-round pick. Who, I mean, we just don't. We, I, I don't know. Calgary could could win their division or finish, you know, thirteenth in the conference, and neither one would surprise me. I have no idea what to make of that team. Um. So. I think Hughes does well here. Um, so I think it's important to put that in context of his other moves. If you remember, I made a tier list um, of every move that Ken Hughes has made as general manager. Um, as he makes more deals, I will update. So that's, of course, what I've done here. If you go to my Twitter account, at maybe it's Ian, um, one of the, last, the latest tweets, you'll find um, the latest tier list. I will try to put this out every time there's a deal. Um, I imagine I'm going to probably have to update it at some point in the fall because I just don't... There's The logjam on this roster has to be resolved at some point. Um, if you're looking at that at the old version, you'll notice that Ben Sherat was the only S-tier trade. Arturi name was the only A-tier trade. And then there was a lot of stuff, you know, more so in the middle. Um, I didn't think Hughes was going to pull off another S-tier trade, but I can't really find another place for this. Um, yes, it's it's magic beans. We don't really know exactly how Monaghan's going to play or what that first round pick is going to be. But the fact that Montreal acquired both of those things for giving up nothing is it, he's he's created positive value with nothing going out the door. Um I guess, you know, you could argue that Montreal shouldn't be in the business of taking on more salary, but for a lost season, when they basically have everyone sign that they need to, I know they need to sign Primo. I know they need to sign Kirby Doc. They're going to do that, um, but it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really matter that they're taking on more salary because this, they're not expecting to be competitive. They're not hoping to sign another free agent. They're not hoping to acquire a guy at the deadline that's going to push them over the edge. They will probably be shedding salary throughout the season. There's a lot of expiring contracts up front that could be very much on their way out the door. Monaghan, Dodonoff, Jonathan Druin, Paul Byron. All of those guys are on expiring deals. They could be on the way out, and then you're looking at next season. Montreal's going to have a lot of cap space next year. Um, Also, like... I don't think I'm the only... I, I can't be the only one that remembers this. Um, at some point, Hughes said that, you know, no team wants to use long-term injured reserve. And it's funny because then, like, the second... You know, and I think that's why... I think, you know what? That was probably when they traded Shea Weber's deal. When they traded his contract to Vegas, I think he had said, no one wants to be an LTIR. I, obviously, Kent Hughes has his price because... <laughs> You know, carry Price is on LTIR and he's stacking more money onto it for a reasonable ac- price of acquisition. Like adding two pieces of magic beans that could yield a very high result. And even if they don't, you haven't really lost anything. Um, it's a it's good value for the Canadians. And I want to be tough and fair in my ranking of these because I don't want this show to be the I love Kent Hughes train and you know, I don't, I don't intend for that to be the case here. Um, I'm still trying to understand the, the sorts of moves that that they want to make, both him and Gorton. Um, but I'm having a hard time finding anything negative about this trade. To play De- devil's advocate, I have two two pieces. If I wanted to be really critical, um, I can see the argument that bringing in another forward to join an already crowded forward group. And potentially keeping young forwards like Joshua Wah and uh, Raphael harvey Pernard or Yessi Ulinen out of the lineup. You know, keeping those guys from making it to the NHL is kind of tough. Um, You don't want that. But I don't... Those guys cooking in the AHL for another season will not do them harm, I don't think. Um, And then, you know, there's sort of the optical aspect of this where... You know, he, we were told throughout the entire summer, when I have news on Carey Price, I will tell you. That's what Kent Hughes has said the entire time. And then, the reason he tells us is, is to explain a trade that he made. So, you know, he effectively knew that Carey Price's career was over, and, you know, I don't know how long he had known that, but... It it kind of it kind of stinks that like this is how Carey Price goes out is a is a footnote to a trade, an entirely unrelated trade. It does not involve Carey Price. I think that he kind of is owed more than that, and I I suspect that we're going to get at, like a more official send off at some point. Um. It just didn't happen. The day of the trade or the day before where they said you know they could have come out and been like Carrie Price's season is over. That's that's the news we have. Um, I don't think Kerry Price wants to meet with the media right now because it's obviously it's it's gotta be very emotional. I know his wife posted on Instagram to to say, like, you guys can leave your comments here. I'll I'll show them to Carrie when he's ready. Which is just heartbreaking. Like it's it sucks that it ended this way. Um, and I'll get more into Carrie Price later, but it's it it kind of sucks that this trade was used as a way to be like, yeah, Carrie Price's season is over, but look, shiny new toy. So like from that perspective, I could understand this trade being a bit of a bummer. And it, to be honest, it's not even a thought that I had immediately. Like I I had to dig for that thought. And but with that said, it does make sense to to it would it would be acceptable to be like, hey, maybe we're not. We're not treating Carey Price with the, you know, the the white glove service that most fans and the the market kind of expect that he would get at this point in his career, given everything that he's been through. Um. And you know, back to the the point about the forwards and you know the the logjam there. I think we're gonna see some guys get moved in really unconventional ways at the beginning of the season. Um. Perhaps one of those veteran forwards, like, like Yoel Armia, gets waived at the beginning of the year. Um, not, of course, in the, in the hopes that some team would claim him. Although, if some team did, that would also be pretty good. But in the sense that you know, a player like Armia at the beginning of the season might be more valuable to a team starting in the minor leagues because if he clears waivers. And he sticks with the Canadians and they assign him to Laval. He can be traded to another team and it's a more attractive sort of trade for a team acquiring him. We see it all the time where a guy goes through waivers and the next day he's dealt to a, 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 a different team. Um, also, like, not to get entirely off track, but I was looking at, at uh, UL or Mia's, like, contract history on cap friendly. Mark Bergevin alone... Gave Yoel Armia over twenty million dollars in his career. Like, uh, I'm I was blown away at the numbers that I saw on there, and like it just seems unwise. He's got a career high of thirty points, and in the, what is it? How long has he been here? I can't even remember. Six years. He's made twenty million bucks. Like that's, that's wild. Or, and, and you know what? Like, that's not even true because he's still got, like, th- two years left on it. So, in, like, he's made probably, like, $16 million in six years. Like, that's insane to think about. I said it a while ago, but the contract that Armia got was the one that Arturi Likinen should have got. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Um, from a value-in, value-out perspective, Hughes added some really nice value. Didn't send anything out the door. It's a it's a reasonable risk. Um if you can even call it that big of a risk if it doesn't if monahan doesn't work you send him on his way um even if you don't find a trade partner for him at the at the at the deadline you just let him walk at the end of the season it's not a huge deal i think the real the more the the more concrete prize which is odd to say about a draft pick that could be f- f- you know 4 years from now is that draft pick that draft pick is the bigger prize to me so this ends up being an S-tier trade for me. Um, I, I don't know how many of these he's got left in him. He's still, I still haven't given him an F yet. I think the lowest trade rank so far was the um, the Jeff Petrie trade. That was a D. Um, but we'll see. He's got more work ahead of him. The salary structure is not complete. He needs to sign some guys. So most likely some dudes are on the way out. All right, that's all I had for the Monahan trade. So we're going to take a break. It's not really going to be a break because you're going to hear my voice after some music plays. And then we'll be back with Scott Badluck. Joining me now for the first time in the history of The Build is one half of the Locked on Canadians podcast with the incomparable uh, Laura Saba. He's a writer for Habs Eyes on the Prize. He's a Mountain Dew aficionado like myself, and he is probably banned from entering the province of Alberta. Scott Matla joins the show. How are you?
1: Banned from entering Alberta is going in my uh, Twitter profile uh, until I actually have to enter Canada, and then I get questioned on it, but... (laughs) Uh, I'm doing good. I've had I've had quite a nice day uh, in Buffalo, despite the weather deciding to get progressively more disgustingly hot outside. So uh, I'm very honored to be the uh, first guest on the sh- on the build as well. So uh, I, I gotta I gotta set the bar high here.
0: Happy to have you, and and you know you you and Laura both have been very uh, supportive of of this show and other work that I've done. So uh, it's very very nice to have you on. We'll have you both you and Laura on at some point in the future, but because of the work that you've just done you you released an an article for Habs eyes on the prize breaking down carry prices place among the the the, the, the Canadians legends and net um because i think that's sort of where you know after we got the news that he wasn't going to play anymore that's sort of where the argument was going i know the, your piece went out before we knew his fate um so it's sort of a at the time it was a, it was an unopened or an, an an unfinished story and now we kind of have closure on that um not that i want you to second guess your work but knowing that price is a closed book at this point does it change your evaluation at all uh,
1: it not really um the the thing about carry price's place in history and i wanted to make this very clear when i wrote the article is that it's very hard to hit the peaks that other goaltenders did in Montreal, especially Ken Dryden, who only played eight years, but is arguably one of not only the best, he is the best Canadians goalie of all time. He's arguably one of the best NHL goalies of all time. And Patrick Watt, it's different eras, different teams, and just different play styles all the way around. And, there was a point in this article that I think was the biggest thing here is that Carrie price never really got the same support that either of those two guys did. And he was basically handicapped to try and figure out, you know, how to win in spite of all of that. And that's not really on him, unfortunately, but it is kind of what will eventually separate him from the other all time greats.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it it does stink because I think, you know, anybody that's watched this team as closely as, as you know, hardcore Habs fans have um, over the last decade, like they just, they haven't scored. And, and, you know, they started to score a little bit more towards the end of like the Mark Bergevin era, like the, the fir- like the Max Domi Canadians that that first year Domi was here, you know, that team was really offensively gifted, but Price was, was, was you know, just, just okay or injured. So it, it, it just, it seemed like they were never, um, you know, going full stride at the same time. Like, and Price for his credit held up his end of the bargain for much longer than the Canadians ever decided to score. You know, I, you think back to a lot of those playoff runs and how, how many one nothing or two one games he had to win. Um, it, it it is a real bummer. Um, you know, price doesn't have a stanley cup that's that's one of the the big sticking points for people who are trying to differentiate him from the field as far as canadians legendary goaltenders go but even with that being the case there's still this idea that he's on the same plane as the drydens and the was even if he's a significant chunk behind them um He's not Dryden, he's not Waugh, but at the same time, like he's not Jose Theodore, he's not Cristobal Huey or David Abishur. Like He's sort of his own thing. To you, like what, what's his legacy? What does he leave behind in Montreal?
1: Carey Price is the best goaltender the Canadians have had since Patrick Waugh. And uh, the, the most depressing part is he's probably the closest they've come to having a long-term superstar in a Canadian's uniform. PK Subban could have been that guy, but obviously he was unceremoniously traded out of town. And then they had a bunch of guys who were very good, but were not superstars. I look at a guy like Andre Markov, a Thomas Plakanets, a uh, Max Pacioretty, all these guys are very good. Even like Brendan Gallagher and the like, these are good players. These are not superstars. Carey Price was for at least a good window of time, the best player in the world at his position. That year that he won gold medals and then he won all the awards in the NHL, Carey Price was the best goaltender in the world. And then the next year, he started, I think, like what, 10 and 0? And then he slipped on a puck and warm up, and everything just spiraled out of control from there. And we saw last year in the playoffs, playing on one knee, he was the best goalie in the playoffs besides Andre Vasilevsky, and it wasn't really close. He is the biggest cornerstone the Canadians have had in a long time. And a kind of soft exit from the NHL is depressing a little bit because he deserved to send off with fanfare and kind of on his own terms. And he might come back if he elects to get the surgery. I can't anticipate that happening, but I do think that Carey Price himself is going to go down and should go down as until Nick Suzuki and Coffield or whomever claims the throne, the last great Canadian suit Canadian's superstar since Patrick Waugh, and I, 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 it is a little bit depressing to look at. This is how it's going down: is that his, he won his last game, thankfully, but it was kind of unceremonious and without a whole lot of fanfare to it.
0: Yeah, that's and that's a point I raised in the first half of the show when I was talking about, um, you know, Sean Monaghan's entrance into Montreal. And how, you know, the entire t- the entire summer, Kent Hughes was telling us, you know, oh, Carey Price is, is, when I have an update, I'll let you know. And then it seemed like that wasn't the case. It seemed like we got an update that we acquired Sean Monahan, And oh, by the way, that's because Carey Price is never playing hockey again. Like it seemed, it was very shoehorned in. Uh, I know that this is a business and, you know, that that's something that we just have to come to terms with. But it does seem like, you know, like you said, he's very, he, it was unceremonious. We didn't get to see him, you know, I, I I suspect that at some point the Canadians fans will be given that courtesy of seeing Carey Price one last time. I bet he comes out at center ice um, at some point this season and, you know, they they kind of have that send off for him if that's, you know, the the route that they want to go. But I was, I'm in the same boat as far as, you know, his legacy. I think he's the, the only player that I've seen play for the Canadians in my lifetime that other teams legitimately feared and not feared because he's going to cross check you in front of the net or he's going to pound the snot out of you. Feared in the sense that like guys were afraid to shoot on him. Like they were afraid of him stopping them constantly. He was consistently rated like among his peers, like the most uh, respected goalie in the league. So, and you know, Montreal just hasn't had that sort of thing. Um, And you know, to, to, to bring back our point earlier about the Canadians not scoring a whole lot, like, goalies that win the Hart Trophy, or at least in the conversation, are oftentimes on really bad teams, and they're buoying them. Like, that's, I don't think the Rangers are a really bad team, but they're not as great as, you know, their record and their run showed. Igor Shosturkin was great. He was, he was uniquely great last season. Um, it's a real shame, like you said, that, that this is how it ends. It's, it's, a, it's a bummer. Um, I kind of, this show kind of feels like an un, uh, an unfitting end to, to his career. We, we should have gotten more out of it. Um, so, I mean, the Canadians need to find that next superstar, but I think first they need to find a new long-term project in net, like a new guy who can play in net for a long time. Um, is that, is that guy in the in the, the organization at this point like is there a goalie that they are looking at and going at he's he's going to be our starter for the next 10 years
1: yeah. if if this was a few years ago and Jake Allen was here i think i'd be a lot less panicked but obviously different times i look at Caden Primo's AHL playoff run where he was incredible in, in that entire series all the way through springfield even though they didn't make it to the final Caden Primo was about as lights out as you could get in a goaltender. Yeah. And I think that restored some confidence. Now I need to see him do that consistently. It, it's not Samuel Montebo unless he's overcome that injury and he's, you know, better this year. I, I think he'll be better and will be a pleasantly surprised. I'm not anticipating much. And then Jakob Dobish has played one 08 or uh, one NCAA season at Ohio state he was very good, and but we've seen this before. It happened with Hayden Hockey, and he can't even stick with an ECHL team right now, if he's even still playing. And then in Europe, playing for Lunda is uh, Frederick Show, and I know uh, Patrick Beck on the prize is a big fan of him. It's too early to tell if they have the next thing, and they don't want to rush Caden Primo because it's the closest they have right now. Uh, Joe Verbatics in the A or is going to be in the ECHL, and that's not a guarantee. I don't see something right now, but that's also fine because they can let their prospects marinate another year in their various leagues and everything and then move them up as they see fit. They don't need to be good immediately next year. They just have to be better. And I think they're anticipating Caden Primo taking that step forward and being like a 1B NHL goalie next year. If he can dominate like he did in the playoffs, it's going to come sooner rather than later. The issue is, is that there is not a carry price in this system, nor should there be. They have they didn't draft a goalie fifth overall at any point in time here. Yeah. they haven't spent a first round pick on a goalie. I don't think they've picked a goalie sent in before like the fourth round since Zach Fucali. Yeah, that was the that was, was
0: the name that was coming to mind for me, and that didn't work out, right? Like, I, yeah, admittedly
1: I, not yeah. Zach Fucali's fault. One, sure, I think he was overhyped to begin with. He shouldn't have been picked where he was, and two, he had to play for Sylvain Lefevre. Yeah. Which you all know my feelings on that.
0: So <laughs> He like um, Fucali was on that loaded uh was it the Mooseheads? He was on that loaded Halifax team, wasn't he? Yeah,
1: he yeah. was on that, a very good team. He was very good for Team Canada sure. in that World Juniors. Everyone was like he's making it on name and then he went like 6 and 0 with under a 2.0 goals against, never. He was great. He had one bad game against Russia and he still won a gold medal. But Development is never straightforward, and the Canadians at that time, thanks Mark Bershman were not equipped to get the best out of him. And it, when him getting those two shutouts start his NHL career, and everyone went, "What's going to happen?" I'm like, he wasn't good, and the Canadians had no system. Yeah. End of story. We're not. We're not re. We're not retconning the Zach Foucault <laughs> history in the AHL. It's not worth anybody's time.
0: Yeah, that was a cool story though. Like him finally making it to the NHL. It took him so long. And he puts up bagels in back to back games. Like that's it was really, really cool to see. Um it just it's a story you don't you don't get a lot. Personally, I'm rooting for for D show because I think he has a very cool nickname, isn't he? The Gnome.
1: He is the Gnome, yes. And he has gnomes on the back of his mask now too. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm pulling for him. I, I do think that that one of him or or uh what was it? Dobus Dobis? I can't pronounce his last Dobish. name. Dobish. Dobish. Yeah, he's a uh, Czech. Oh, okay. I check playing it at, at Ohio state. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, po- I'm, I think one of those guys will be an NHL guy, although with goalies, like, it's just so hard to tell, like Caden Primo was a, was a seventh round draft pick and he's right now the front runner, at least. Um, he was and- almost one of the last picks of the round. Like, <laughs>
1: one, uh, So
0: yeah, I mean, he, you, his Laval run kind of salvaged his reputation a little bit or at least the the idea of of him becoming an NHL goalie because I mean last year it was tough um you know not to not to even mention the fact that like Dom Ducharme left him out to dry in on a lot of a lot of um situations like the that that really awkward fist bump gif that I think you were the one who shared
1: the game against Toronto and the thing about Caden Primo is he's 23 years old yeah goaltenders are not we talk about development uh, paths and everything. Goaltenders are always going to take a little bit longer. He's just 23. Like I'm looking at some of these names that were drafted before him in terms of goalies. And some of these guys haven't even made like the NHL or even come close. So it's like just, you know, it's fine. You know, if he's not fully there yet and he's getting, Closer and closer. I just need everyone to kind of, you know, take a deep breath. Yeah. It'll be okay. Like, I, I promise you it'll be okay.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Especially, like, he seems like he's almost too good for the AHL at this point, but not quite ready to be a 1A starter in the NHL. I mean, because that that run in Laval last year was really something. Not only was he making just, like, all of the routine saves regularly, he was stealing goals on a regular basis for Laval um, and doing so behind a a pretty good team um, for, you know, by AHL standards. But part of me wonders, like, you know, let's, let's imagine a future where like that doesn't, he doesn't pan out. It just, it just doesn't work at the NHL level. Like when do they start to, to, to look for like an NHL contracted goalie, like bringing in a guy who's not somebody that they, that they raised from the ground up. Like I can't, I can't even remember the last, starter the canadians had that was like that i mean i i guess it would be huey because they got him from from los angeles like at what point do you think they they decide we have to go find a goalie
1: i i actually imagine it's fairly quick i'm actually on uh right now looking at free agents in 2023 and they're sorted by cap hit so we're gonna we're gonna go down the line here a little bit and these are not unfortunately young guys you have jonathan quick samian varlamov Ben Bishop, who is effectively retired. Yeah. Frederick Anderson, Jonathan Bernier, Cam Talbot, Tristan Jarry, Anton Hudobin, who I believe is retired. Mm-hmm. Alex Nadelkovich, Jake Allen's a free agent. Mackenzie Blackwood is the one that stands out to me here, just because I don't know what his future in uh, New Jersey would be. But there's like there's not a lot of guys that fit the age gap they might be looking for and also are good enough to be a starter to help here. And unless they trade for someone, which is a possibility, we don't ever know what Kent Hughes is really thinking right away. Uh, But if Caden Primo struggles this year, and I look at he's been remarkably consistent at the AHL level, 908, save percentage, 909, 17 wins, 11 and four, 16 wins, and then really good in the playoffs last year. He's consistently what he is. Obviously the rocket have struggled here and there, but. It's not because of Caden Primo. I think he's a very good technical goalie. He just has some mental flaws to work out. And I think they're banking on him being ready because if not, I think they're going to hit the trade market. They've got pieces. They've got picks. They can make some noise happen with that because I'm looking at free agency and I go, it's not pretty, and I don't see it really working in their favor unless someone just comes out of left field uh, this year during the season.
0: Yeah, I feel like you almost always regret free agent uh goaltenders i feel like it's just not a position that you that lends itself to paying a whole bunch of money on the open market for um because the second you start letting in like one or two bad goals a game it's over like like they're they're running you out of town um with a guy that you drafted you you kind of i feel like you always have that view oh he's just he's he's still figuring it out he's still figuring it out and then you blink and he's 30 and you're like okay well he's actually just really good now um so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you on a lot of that. I, I feel like they still have some some baby fat to shed on this roster before they decide to start, you know, adding pieces to help now. Um, but I, I feel like we're going to get there sooner rather than later. Like, it's going to – we're going to enter a season and we're going to watch Kent Hughes make a bunch of ads and be like, why is he doing that? I feel like that's when it's sort of going to happen, maybe like two, three years down the line. If they don't have a starter from, in, you know, internally, they might have to start – you know, looking around at everything else, um, yeah, sure, go for it. No, I was gonna say, I think you're right in
1: that. It, it's such a, it's not an easy spot to be in, just because it's like he, Ken Hughes, kind of got left a mess, so
0: yeah, kind of. Now you
1: got to figure it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I noted at the at the the first half, I was talking about Yul Armia for a little bit, and I, over his career, Mark Bergevin has single-handedly paid Yul Armia over twenty million dollars which is just, like, you can't do that and be successful. Like, I know, like, I enjoy Yola Mio when he's really on his game, but, like, that's sort of the epitome of the mess right now is just guys got way too much money for not a whole lot of production. Um, but that's a story for a different day. Um, do, do you have a, very, a favorite carry Price moment? I know a lot of people probably have very similar ones, but I, I everyone has to have one, right? What What's What's... What is the definitive Carey Price experience when you remember his time in Montreal?
1: I I, I know it's cheating, but that entire twenty twenty one playoff run to the Stanley Cup final was Carey Price at his best, just unwavering in everything. Even when games weren't going his way, yeah. he was still Carey Price, like down to his core, unshakable. Even if it, goals were going in, he's not panicking. He's not making you know bad mistakes, anything like that. I think. The two things: one is him just absolutely flooring Chris Kreider and then staring at him. <laughs> yeah, not, that rule. Not just briefly; he stood over him for several seconds and then laughed. And it's like,
0: yeah,
1: I, I dare you to call a penalty on this. And the other one, I think it was Victor Mete, desperately trying to score his first NHL <laughs> yeah. goal, and he misses. And carry Price is on the bench, and he is just in tears, <laughs> trying to hide the fact that he is laughing on the bench. To the point that he's almost falling over off of his stool and i think that's what it's all about is that it's like he's always been a giant goofball yeah but he's also like the most focused and intense guy on the team when the situation calls for it
0: yeah i think that's that's a huge um part of you know the aura of carrie price is is the the little bits of fun that he was he would always have um for me it for me the 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 thing that stands out in my head that I don't think anyone else will do or or can do in the Montreal market which in 2010 in the preseason when he told everybody to chill out and then followed it up with his first true breakout season he had 38 wins uh he was a 923 eight shutouts like that to me was the beginning of the Carey Price era in Montreal um he never like backed away from the limelight he always kind of um I feel like he always excelled in moments like that. But him just telling everybody, you guys got to relax. Like it's a preseason game. And everybody at the time getting like real mad that he would, he would dare say something like that. And then he just has the best season of his career to that point. It's just, it's peak Carry Price to me. Um, that sort of swagger is going to be like, it's going to be deeply missed on this roster moving forward.
1: I think you're right in that too, is that it, it goes back to what you said about, you know, him being voted top in the league is, it's a presence. It's an aura, and it's it's go- it's gone now. Nick Cole Caulfield are awesome. Maybe Slavkovsky brings some of that since he's a giant Slovak murder child, <laughs> but that aura of Carey Price is missing now, and it kind of takes some sheen off the Canadian. So someone else has to step up and you know bring that back a little bit. Someone will. I have no doubt of that. But for right now, it's it's yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's not great.
0: It's a void, but I, I also think that they kind of needed this to happen in a sense in order to truly hand the keys over to the kids, right? Like, in order to completely move on from the past era of the Canadians, this certainly helps in the sense that, like, we can't, we can't linger on the fact that we have to get a ring for Carey Price. Now it's just very much, let's get a ring. Let's get one with the guys that we have here now and build something new instead of, you know, doing what the Canadians always do and relying on images of the past in order to feel good. I want to feel good about this team. Um, I, I, I do feel good about the direction of it, but, like, I want to get to a point where, you know, we're, we're talking about playoff series again, and we're talking about not only just making the playoffs, but, like, making doing some damage in them um, as opposed to just make the playoffs and anything can happen, um, which was the mantra for far too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, last thing for you, because we both love uh, remembering some guys. So I figured I would put together a Remember Some Guys Challenge uh, in honor of Carey Price. Um, so this, this is what we're going to do. I mean, I have the list in front of me, so it's really just for you to play. Um, on October tenth, two 2007, Carey Price made his debut against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He made 26 saves in a 3-2 win at the Igloo in Pittsburgh. How many guys can you remember from that lineup? Um, I'll, there's some prime guys on that list. So there's 18 skaters. I'll give you the backup goalie. It was Cristobal UA because I believe Yaroslav Halak was still down in, at the time, Hamilton. Um, so how many what, what guys can you remember from this roster? There are some real, real doozies here. So
1: at that time, there would have to be Saku Koivu. Correct. Alex Kovalev. Yes. Thomas Placanitz. Yes. Andre Markov. Correct. Mark Strait.
0: You got it. Um, was Sheldon Surrey on that team? He was not. So, maybe he... No, he must have gone to the Oilers by that point. No, he couldn't have, because they had the All-Star game, but he didn't... I don't think oh, he... Oh, so Mike Komisarek was on this team, then. Correct, um, he was. Yeah, because the All-Star game was in 2009, he was right. and he he was there. Um... Was Frankie Boo on this team then at that point too? He was. He was. I think well, it was the it was towards the end of his first stint, in in Montreal.
1: I want to say it's. I assume Michael Ryder would have been on this team then as well.
0: Yep, he was there. It was probably one of his last seasons, um, in Montreal. I, again, in that iteration of them, I think he. What did he do? He left for, was it New Jersey or Boston? I think I think one of those. I think it was Boston. I think he went
1: to Boston. Yeah. Um, was Mike Ribeiro on this team?
0: Nope. He was gone by that point.
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I know it's too soon for Pacioretty. It's too soon for um, Yeah. They were drafted the year prior. Yeah.
0: Both those guys aren't here.
1: The was pa- it Benoit Pouliot? This would have been Guillaume Latandres because this is before Benoit Pouliot got here.
0: Correct. And go back to the patcheretti thing because there's a hint in there.
1: It's Craig Reveille.
0: No, nope, it's not Craig Reveille. It's not? Yeah, it was it was uh it, well, who else was in that trade?
1: I, I, I don't know. I thought Josh was Georges, from... you
0: can Josh Georges is one of the pieces in that trade.
1: Jesus. Oh wow. Oh, that's right. I am I have my time stamps backwards here on this. Um
0: cuz he got was Ritty 2000 Patch ready was drafted in
1: 2007, which means Craig Reveille and Josh Georges were traded before the 2007 right. draft. Yeah. So, um was this George the Rock stint in Montreal? Uh,
0: if it was, he was not on the roster. He wasn't on the it wasn't in the lineup that night because um, I
1: know he came in just after that when they wore those uh, white alternate jerseys. Yeah, um, how many skaters have I named so far then?
0: I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, Markov, seven, eight, nine, uh, ten. I've got ten so far. So there's eight left.
1: Uh, was this before or after Roman, or no, this would have been potentially before Roman Hammerlich?
0: I'm going to give it to you. Roman Hammerlich was on that roster.
1: Uh, both Kostitsyns then would have been on this roster.
0: Uh, only Andre played.
1: Sergey probably was in the AHL at that point. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Because I'm remembering that entire, uh, group there. Uh how How obscure are we about to get with who's left because we have what 11 people or 12 people now?
0: Yeah, so there's there's they're guys you would know. like uh, one of them is is've I've been on record as saying he's like peak guy for me. like when I think of guy on the Montreal Canadians, it is this man.
1: God, it's, uh, I know exactly who you're going to say, and I cannot remember for the life of me. You've said it
0: to me before. <laughs> All right, you want to run through who you missed? Yes. That that peak guy I was talking about was Kyle Chipchura. He's peak That's guy. That's the one. Um, That's the one. Steve Bajin was also on that roster. Um, Matthew Dandino, who I go back and forth on whether or not he's actually, like, a guy. He had three Stanley Cups, and then, like, his Montreal stint was just, like, okay. But he was just, like, a really effective role player for those Red Wings teams that won three cups in the 90s. Um, Chris Higgins was on that roster. I thought it was too soon for
1: Chris Higgins. because I know he was only here a brief time before he went to Vancouver, so... Um... I think that,
0: that must have been his rookie season because he went to, he went to the, the Rangers in the, the McDonough Gomez deal. He was, he was part of that. So he didn't get traded until um, the summer of 2009 um who else do we got here tom kostopoulos
1: oh tom the bomb he's overtime playoff hero tom the bomb yeah
0: i he he's another peak guy for me just because like he he played so many games at every level like he has a ton of echl games a ton of ahl games a ton of nhl games like he just played everywhere um yeah he was a cool dude and then the last player to be unnamed was a one-and-done with the Montreal Canadiens, a one-year-only... That was Tangay. No, it was before Tangay. They, man, they had a stretch of one-and-done guys, one and um, old guys. Brian Smolinski was also oh, in there. Jesus Christ. But, like, I... I, I could have also confused Robert Lang and put him in there, because there was just a run of years where they just picked up, like, here's an old guy, let's see what he can do for a year. And I'm Lang blew out his Achilles or something, and he missed like the is rest. He, of the and season. he was a
1: good player too. And I remember this because we've had a lot of discussions about Robert Lang and eyes on the prize for some reason. <laughs> some of the other names that were on this team: Patrice Brizois, Matt DiAgostini, Mikhail oh. Grabowski. Um, yeah. Let's see who else was on here: Maxime Lapierre, Corey Locke, Garth Murray.
0: Garth Murray. Yeah, I think I think Garth Murray played like one game. <laughs> um
1: ryan o'burn and Greg stewart so no this was not the team that had uh uh, uh george the on i believe that was the next season the 0809 one and we're gonna see if i'm right here in a second um he was another one and
0: done right i don't he even played think he... a
1: few years i think yeah Did... george Lerock was the next year and he played Two years in Montreal. Wow, he played a total of fifty-one games.
0: Okay, that's why I was gonna say. I remember games. I remember Sorry, I far less of him. Like I, all I remember is he finally scored his first goal as a Canadian, and then like the next day they waived him.
1: <laughs> like, so fun. Can we do a fun fact to end this
0: episode here? absolutely. In
1: his last NHL season at the age of 33, George LaRock played 28 games, had one goal, two assists, was minus six, had 28 penalty minutes, and received a vote for Lady Bing and finished 54th in the voting.
0: Stop. You cannot give George LaRock a vote for the Lady Bing. Are you out of your mind?
1: Uh, that year? They're lucky the ballots weren't available then. (laughs) Oh, it's... It's truly stunning to me that he finished ahead of Paul Correa, Mike Fisher, J.P. Dumont, Sidney Crosby, Zidane Chara, and Nicholas Backstrom.
0: I can think of no better way to end this episode because I'm about to be violently ill. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's all I've got in this one. Scott, it was was a lot of fun having you on. Um, Go check out his article at uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize. If you're not listening to Locked on Canadians, I don't know how you found this show, because that, I'm pretty sure like it's a direct one-to-one of people who came from, from Locked on Canadians. Um, Scott, where can people find you and the rest of your work?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Scott Matla. Uh, the Locked on Canadians account is at LO underscore Canadians. Please follow my co-host, at The Active Stick, as well. We're on YouTube. If you like a visual medium in your background, uh, Locked on Canadians there, um, and you will see me, no doubt, shit posting on Twitter or something, so... <laughs> Um, if you came here from this show, sorry, uh, if you want to stick around, why? Uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Can I have you on again sometime? Absolutely. Awesome. I have an idea of, of, you know, as, as you might know, this podcast is going to end once the Canadians win a Stanley cup. I have, uh, I have a, a grand theme of, of when that finally happens, getting all the people that I have ever had on this show together, um, you know, in different times and just chatting through thoughts. On, on that sort of thing. So, when the day happens, I'll have to have you on again, but hopefully, many times in between then. Um, all right, guys, thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. You can send all complaints there, CC at Scott Matla. Um, the, <laughs> the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the link in the description to go to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his stuff. Uh, one more thing um, uh, I want to wish a happy birthday to the wonderful DF Pendries, who I know is a listener of both this show and Locked On Canadians. Happy birthday, DF. I hope it was a good one. All right, guys. I'll see you when I see you. Take care.